Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to focus on verses 5 through 9. I've titled this message, How to Experience the Peace of God. Well, follow with me as we read our text. Verse 5 begins, Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good report, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Father, we love your word. It brings light unto our lives. And Lord, we need you to instruct us, to teach us, to open up our hearts, give us desire to walk in that straight and narrow path. Lord, we need your peace. Not as the world gives, but the peace that you give that passes all comprehension. So, Lord, we turn to you, for there's no other place to turn. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at, really, the prescription for receiving and maintaining God's peace in our lives. Well, I want to begin going back one verse last week to verse 4. Notice what it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. This is where the prescription for receiving God's peace begins. Rejoicing in the Lord always. We should have hearts that are overflowing with thankfulness. Realizing all that God has done for us, all that he is doing in all eternity and that he's coming for us again. Now, no matter what's going on in our lives, we should be able to rejoice. Christians are not immune to sorrow, nor should they ever be insensitive to the troubles of others. Yet, they should count on God's will their highest joy, so that they're capable of knowing this inner peace and joy in every circumstance, knowing God is in control of the outcome. As Christians, we're to be continually rejoicing and and again, overflowing with thanksgiving. Again, when I think of that word rejoice, the following grounds are the occasions for rejoicing. Rejoicing on the part of the believers. We rejoice in the Lord and His incarnation. His power, that he's almighty. His presence with the Father. His presence with us. God is with us. His ultimate 
triumph when he comes and judges the world and throws Satan into that bottomless pit. The hearing of the gospel that God opened up our hearts and minds to know the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, what he's done, the salvation that we have in him, in the receiving of the Lord. Why, we still have that responsibility to receive him. God gives us the faith and even the ability and the mind to reason and know him. And that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And our liberty in Christ. That we're not in bondage under legalism. But we're already victorious and we walk in the Spirit. In our hope. The obedience and the conduct of, of, of fellow believers. We should be excited when we see them walking in the Lord. Growing in the Lord. Being used by the Lord. This list, it goes on, it goes on and on, and there is much to rejoice over. And no matter what life looks like, there is something to rejoice. God is revealing himself to you and to me. Let me illustrate the point. There was a saintly woman who had suffered for many months from a painful illness, And as she said to her pastor, I have such a lovely robin that sings outside my window. In the early mornings as I lie here, he serenades me. And then a smile brightened her thin features as she added, and I love him because he sings in the rain. That is the most beautiful thing about that robin. When a storm is silenced, every other songbird, the, the robin continues to sing on. That is what Christians who with Christ should do and can do. Anyone can sing in the sunshine when things are going good, but you and I should sing when the sun is gone, when the clouds pour out their rain, for Christ is with us and Christ is in us. See, that's what Paul's really saying. Look with me in Philippians 1.18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. In this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul's in prison, if you remember. People are preaching the gospel. Some really just want to irritate him. Some have improper motives. But you know what? Christ is being glorified. Christ is being spoken of. And and Paul says, I'm going to rejoice. Paul wanted to be there sharing the gospel, discipling the people, loving the people, but he couldn't. But others were doing it. And that was what was important. See, our confidence is in God. And when we have our confidence in God, it's reflected in joy and thanksgiving. See, Paul had that peace with God. He knew that God had began that work. God was going to finish that work. Ephesians 5.20, notice what it says. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Notice he says giving thanks for all things. Not some things, not only good things, but all things. Knowing that God is somehow going to use it for good, even when you and I do not understand it. Paul knew that Jesus was the source of his peace and his contentment. Perhaps you remember the story when the disciples are in the boat and the storm comes up and 
and they lost it. Let me show you. Look on the screen, Luke 8, verse 24 and 25. They, referring the disciples, came to Jesus, woke him up. He's sleeping. He's resting. The storm waves maybe 25 foot tall. They're losing it. And they cry out, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped. And it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed and saying to one another, Who then is this that that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? The best thing that ever happened to him was in the boat. He had already told them that they're going to the other side. He was with them. They forgot that. He is in control of all things. And that's so important to understand. When the Christian keeps his mind set up on Christ, he develops a wonderful, and I'm going to give you two words, complex. They're calm, focused upon him. This is what leads a person to contentment. Locking their eyes upon the author and the finisher of their faith. See, that's the next point here in verse 5 where we really begin in our text. It's being content. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. I love this verse. So often it's glossed over. People ignore it. The exhortation is not only dealing here with, with believers within the church, but with all unbelievers as well. Notice it ends with all men. We're to have this gentle spirit. And that word gentle is a translation of the Greek that would have the following meaning, not to be unduly rigid, being satisfied with less than one's due, or sweet reasonableness, or forbearance. And here, really, in the text, it, it is to be this, let your sweet reasonableness be known to all men. It's this, would we decide we're going to live in this way that's gentle, not hostile, not angry, not bitter, not lashing out, that the world needs to see there's something different, and that difference is because our eyes are locked upon Jesus. Now, this doesn't happen overnight. Now, he uses in verse 5 that word, no one. The word no one refers to a knowledge gained by experience. And it's something that Paul and you and I learn as we recognize that God is in control of all things, that he does bring good out of all things. The exhortation is, therefore, do not keep this sweet reasonableness in your heart. You know, we don't want to keep Christ in our heart, but, but let him go out. Let the joy go out. Let the peace go out. We must be gentle. We must be forbearing and dealing with unbelievers. The last thing that we should ever do is criticize the world, condemn the world, or censor, or neglect, or ignore unbelievers. No, they, they need to see Christ. They, they need to see the joy that's in us, the peace that, that's in us. And if we try to keep it only in our heart, we will not have a peace. We must reach out to a world with the gospel. And the way that we do that is treating them 
with loving gentleness. He's saying we must be gentle. Have absolutely nothing to do with harshness at all. Thus, others will experience its blessings also. Look at 2 Corinthians 10.1 on the screen. Now I, Paul, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek, when face to face with you, but bold toward you, when absent. When Paul was in their face, when Paul was with them, he was meek. He was gentle. He he took on Christ. Now, when he's writing, he writes boldly, but lovingly. And this is how sometimes we need to do is, is we do write firmly. We, we love people. We care about them. We can write bold, but not harsh. We can be firm, but loving. Paul wants the persecuted Philippians to return good for evil. That's hard. When people are mean, when people are nasty. But to be good, to be kind, to be tender-hearted. In fact, in Ephesians 4.32, notice what it says. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. See, this is the life of of a Christian. This is the life of a mature Christian. See, their faith rests in God, resting on the confident faith in him that he is in control of the outcome and the fact that he is near. In fact, that's what our text says. The end of verse 5, the Lord is near. And be anxious for nothing. Now, this Lord is near is not saying, well, he's right next to me, God with us, yes. But what it's really referring to is what we call the rapture of the church. The Lord is coming. And we shouldn't be ashamed at his coming. We should be these these loving, tender-hearted people forgiving one another and letting the world see Christ in us. So this nearness is the Lord's return. It's it's always this idea of this imminent return that he could come at any moment. The, so the rapture is in the mind of Paul. He, he's looking for the Lord's coming. And again, we talked about in First John chapter 3, it's a purifying doctrine that those that are looking for the Lord's coming put off ungodliness and anger and bitterness. See, this enforces this idea of gentleness as, as a cure for worry. When you choose to live as a citizen of heaven, when you choose to live as Christ, there's this peace that just overflows. There's this contentment, knowing that Christ could come at any time, and he loves us so much he's coming. Look at Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are Christians, we are to be like Christ. We are to be living and going about the Father's business, just as Jesus did, in the same manner that he did. 
What does that mean? Psalm 34, 18. Notice what it says. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. We're to be tender with all the people. And especially the the hurting people. He's he's near us, the brokenhearted. We should be near the brokenhearted, those around us. We should bring words that are refreshing and healing to the lives of people. We have the good news, the gospel, that can set the captives free when they turn and look upon him. When we be focused upon the Lord, things just go so much better. Look at Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. You know, the Lord desires to hear from you. You want to be gentle? Lord, fill my heart with gentleness. Fill my heart with love. Fill my heart with joy. I want to be like you. And you know what? God will do that in your heart if that is truly the desire of your heart. Because he's promised to give us the desire of our heart. Well, what does the word truth mean? It means the right knowledge and attitude, which always leads us to peace. But that right knowledge and right attitude leads us to right praying. Look in our text with me. Verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's a difference between genuine care and false anxiety. George Mueller wrote, To care is a virtue, but to foster cares is a sin. For each anxiety is not to trust in God, but a trusting in oneself which comes to an inward suffering and fears and worry. By continuing to worry, we're all revealing our lack of confidence in God. I like in John 14, 1, it says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. See, it's when we turn and we believe in God, we believe him and take him at his word. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's a peace, a peace that passeth all understanding. Perhaps you remember that day that you were born again. You had a peace like never before. But sometimes people get into this point of striving to, to be good on their own power, and you can't. Or sometimes they decide they're going to be the Messiah, and they're going to save the world instead of letting God work in them and work through them. Well, look with me, Matthew eight twenty six, And he said to them, referring to the disciples, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the sea, and they became perfectly calm. Nothing is too difficult for our God. He is our rock. He is our strong tower. If he is for us, who could ever be against us? Now look at the words, be anxious, means to be careful for nothing. The word means worry or anxious care. Paul's really exhorting, stop being anxious. 
See, the Philippian saints were habitually worrying. It was ongoing, continuing. It's normal to to react to a situation. Maybe somebody startles you, an earthquake or whatever it may be. Yes, we become fearful for a moment, but it's not an ongoing thing. Those are things that we just react. But in reality, we know that God's in control. We know to be absent the bodies, be present with the Lord. We know that these things that may be happening when they're done, they're opportunities to share the gospel. While it's not God's perfect will, God will use it if we allow him to work in our lives. Now, the, the word nothing is literally not even one thing. There's nothing that you and I should ever be habitually worrying about. How are we going to pay our rent? How are we going to pay our taxes? Will we ever have grandchildren? Going on and on the list. It's important to understand that the apostle is giving here the saints the cure for worry. It's believing in prayer. Believing if you ask anything according to his will, it is done. His timing may be different than your timing, but his leading you to prayer. He's working in those people, working in your life. He's working all these things for the good to bring glory to him. The word prayer is a translation of a Greek word which speaks in prayer, addressing an act of worship and devotion. So this prayer is really worship and devotion that we're worshiping, kissed toward affection. Lord, we love you, but at the same time, it's showing that we're devoted. We believe in him. We trust in him. And we know there's no place else that we can go. Now, the Greek text suggests the translation, in the presence of God. It's delicate. It's a suggestive way of hinting we're really in God's presence. And that think of Moses when he was standing there before the burning bush. And he was told to take off your shoes, take off your slippers. You're you're standing on holy ground. The atmosphere surrounding the Christian, when you and I are praying, we are in the presence. We boldly go to the throne of grace. God is there. And anxious care is out of place in the heavenly Father's presence because we're in his presence. We're, We're safe and secure. Our requests are always in the place with with him. You remember perhaps when your kids were little and and they would they would scrape themselves, they would get hurt and they'd run or something would happen and they'd run in the arm and they, they would just kind of just settle down in your arms and calm and that's how we should be. We're in our Father's arms. We're in the presence of Jesus. In fact, Hebrews 4.16 reminds us, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. You know, we're coming to God who wants to pour out his blessings, pour out his mercy, pour out his grace. We don't always understand how he does it. We just know the outcome is good. Prayer is both an act and and it's an atmosphere. It's the way that you and I live. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, pray without ceasing. It's an attitude, the way we go through life. We we come to the to Lord, yes, at, at specific times. We bring specific requests before him. Uh, 
But it is also possible just to live in that atmosphere of prayer. It is possible that the the mood of our life should be a prayerful mood, joyful, exciting. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, and we're talking to him, we're walking with him. I'm reminded the story of Enoch when he walked with the Lord for 300 years. And these are my own words here. But I feel as, as he was taken, it says he was here and then gone. And the Lord said to him one day, his walk was so close, so intimate. He says, come home to be with me. You're closer to my home than your own home. His home was now with the Lord. We should notice that our request should be made known to God with thanksgiving. Not worries, not fretting. Lord, thank you. I know that you're faithful. I know that you're true. I know you love me and I know you love others more than I could ever love. God, thank you that you are a faithful God. This is why he says that we should be anxious for nothing and prayerful in everything and and thankful for anything. Because God is about to reveal himself in a very special way. Paul echoes Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 6, 25 and 34, where the, the believers are not to be anxious, but, in, but to entrust themselves into the hands of a loving Father whose peace will guard them in Christ Jesus. Stop, think for a second. Can you imagine never worrying about anything? It seems like impossibility. We all have worries of our jobs, our homes, our school, our relationships. But Paul's advice is simple. Turn our worries into prayers. Because God is listening. I really desire to be in a world where there is no more worry, no more anxious thoughts. One day he will come and bring us to himself in that place. See, worry, anxious worry, habitual worry, is sin, is what he's saying. When we recognize it, when we see it, when we go to to prayer, we're praying and we bring it to him, we confess our sins and we lay all of our concerns for, for whatever's going on in our life, we then can experience the peace of God. This is how we receive it, as we come to him in prayer. It says in verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. See, this right praying, directing, and putting on this faithful God, this God is loving and wanting to pour out his mercy and grace. Then when we come to him, we experience this peace of God that surpasses all comprehension. And he'll guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace is like a, a guard that patrols our hearts, keeps the worry out. See, we're going to look now at at really the prescription for maintaining that peace. We know that if we come to him in prayer, we lay them before him and we let go and not take them back. We experience that peace. He will guard our hearts, but, but we need to maintain that peace. 
So that's why Paul gives us this next bit of advice concerning the thought life. Verse 8, it involves right thinking. Notice, it says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Eight words are used for these things that should fill the Christian thought life. Stop and think a moment. What are you thinking about all the time? What's filling your mind? Is it rubbish from the world? Is it worries? Is it immorality? Or is it these things that he's mentioned? Well, look, again, these these thoughts, it's important to understand that our thoughts certainly affect our attitudes and our moods. See, his ways are higher than our ways. Truly, what we believe will determine how you walk out this life, how you react in this life. If you're worrying and fretting and continually, you're really saying, God, you're not big enough. God, you don't know about this. God, you can't take care of it. I've I've got to do it. I've got to find someone. And that worry... That anxious worry, the sin. So truly, what you believe will determine how you walk out this life, how you live it, how the world even sees you. Everything that the Lord tells us and allows us to go through is for our own good. He knows what makes us happy. He knows what makes us miserable. And when people are full of wrong thoughts, they're miserable. I've learned from personal experience that miserable people, hurting people, usually end up making others miserable and hurting. When I see that, I I know here's an opportunity to to sit down, to love them, to, to listen and look for the Lord's leading that bring them to that place that they can understand that peace of God. It's not to push them away, get angry at them, to condemn them or to judge them, to understand that deep inside, they're still struggling with who God is. They don't know that their God is an almighty, all-knowing God, who is an all-loving God, who wants the best for them. And he will use whatever it takes to finish the work in them. We each have to stop and take a personal inventory really on a regular basis and ask ourselves, what have I been thinking about? Spend some time examining your your thoughts, how you're living your life. The Bible everywhere teaches us that we should control what we think. You cannot eradicate those things that will come into your mind. You do not have to let them control you. You don't You don't have to have this defeatist attitude. We simply can cast our cares upon him who cares. The fact of the matter is that we can help it. We can change it. A person cannot entertain evil thoughts and and thoughts about the Lord. 
Jesus at the same time. It's really a test of where are we at. If then an evil thought should come to him, he should immediately get rid of it by meditating, focusing upon, fixing the eyes upon the person, the work of Christ, why Jesus Christ came. The more enlightened psychologists and psychiatrists come today have come to agree that the Apostle Paul on this matter is important that stress and the danger of stress and negative thinking affects them physically. Look around. Maybe your family, maybe your husband, maybe your children. You can see that negative thinking effect. I'm not talking about positive confession movement. I'm just talking about what you think will affect you. Verse 80, look at it again. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, honorable, whatever is right and pure and lovely and good and repute and excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, and dwell on these things. It means whatever we read, whatever we see, We need to turn our eyes. We need to protect our minds and our hearts that we don't become tainted. Well, let's look at these virtues because really this is what virtues are. True means not false or unreliable, but genuine and real. Honorable means honorable or morally attractive. Right means righteousness, both toward God and man. Pure refers to a man's high moral character of a person's life. When I see that in a man, when I see that in a woman, I, I, I just I can't help but overflow with joy. God, you are good. You have kept them. Lovely. Has the idea that which is admirable, agreeable, behold and consider good report is is really what's fair and sounding and Excellence speaks again of that, of, of what we speak in moral excellence and praiseworthy is something that deserves to be commended and dwell on these things that he says. Back at verse seven, Paul had assured the saints that God would guard their hearts and thoughts in Christ Jesus. Boy, that's a place to, to dwell, to focus upon. And God, you're faithful. You will do exactly what you said you're going to do. Here Paul reminds him that they too have the responsibility of the matter. See, God does his part, but we have this part. We, we must cast all these thoughts out of our mind. We must choose to turn away. We must focus on these positive things. God does not guard the thought life of man who does not want to be kept pure. Think about that. Sometimes we, we don't want to be good. We don't want to be pure. We want to play the hokey pokey, one foot in and one foot out, but we'll never experience that peace, that peace of God. We can have a false peace. We can deceive ourselves. And even for a while, maybe deceive others, but God is not deceived. God knows. Look with me. The next thing that happens when our our prayer life is right, our thought life is right, we see right living. Verse 9 the things that you've learned, received, and heard, and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What he's saying is put 
this into practice. In other words, living by what you know, you've acknowledged, and is the Again, Paul's using himself as an example. This is his goal. Follow me as I follow Christ. Live these things out. You've seen. You, you know what they are. You've seen how you are to react. Now do it. Just do it. So once again, Paul sets forth a pattern of saint. And, and our lives are to be this way to others. And can you imagine if, if you have these people, these godly saints around you, those that become your friends, your mentors, how encouraging and strengthening. He urges the believers to, to practice the things they've learned and they saw. His peace requires our part, our participation. Those who are faithful in following the example of the apostle are promised that God's peace will be with them. So how do we experience the peace of God? Well, the scripture makes it clear that we need to maintain a, a spirit of joy. Finding our contentment really comes in being in the Lord. Resting confidently in what his word says. Allowing the spirit to lead us and teach us how to pray. And then to experience the sweetness of that fruit of prayer that causes you and me to, to walk in the straight and narrow path, that right living that honors God and fills our life with the peace of God knowing that the Lord Jesus is coming for you and me again one day. Father, thank you for your word, your encouraging, comforting word. Thank you for the promises that, that you have left in your word. You show us how to, to receive and maintain this peace, and we, we thank you. Because this world is not a peaceable world. This world does cause worries and frets. But when we turn to you, we see what you're doing. We see your glory in the midst of this dark, dark place. You strengthen us. You encourage us. You enable us. You keep us on that path. You make us faithful that we can plod through this life, that we can say to others, follow me as we follow Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for these precious people. Lord, bless them, and may they be a blessing every place they go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.